We're Ace Comicals, my name's Greg, and today I'm joined by my co-host Rahul. Let's get started. Hi guys, welcome to Ace Comicals episode number 33. So, today we have... No Leon, but we do have Ray back. Say hi, Ray. Good evening, Greg. How are you doing? I'm good. How have you been? Yeah, I've been I've been better, but I've also been pretty good. Um, the reason I was away for a little while is that I had some family drama to take care of. Um, so it turns out my dad was quite ill for a little while. Um, so I've just been home dealing with that. Um, he's all right now, but um, i just like to express my thanks to everybody who was... Um, you know, there for me when I needed um, some support during that, and especially to you guys for, you know, taking the reins in my absence. So uh, I've been listening to the episodes that you did without me, and they were really good. I'm really, really proud of you guys for taking up the stead. So that's yeah, that. No problem, um, dude. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it sounded really good. Um, and then aside from that, I've uh, then I had a, a much deserved holiday, if I don't say so myself. Um, and then I've also recently been to um, the Res Video Game Expo, and also on top of that, seen uh, Method Man Redman in concert uh, just the other day, which was a ridiculous gig because the doors opened at nine, and then they came on at half twelve the next day in the morning, <laughs> and <laughs> it was great. the The opening act and the the, uh, the the guests were amazing, and they kept you know the energy up for like a good three hours before they came on. Um, but like I had to, it's the first time in my life I've ever left before the actual concert ended. I think we left just as the, the encores were starting and I was like, I have to get home. It was like half two in the morning and I had to take the night tube home and that's always a mission and got rolled in at at home at like half three, four o'clock. It was just ridiculous. So a great (laughs) weekend, but man, I'm, I'm tired. (laughs) Give everyone the chance to get lit before they come on stage. (laughs) Yeah, it was ridiculous. People were mashed. It was brilliant. <laughs> well, you would be if you had to wait till midnight and the doors opened at eight o'clock. It's like four hours of getting mash time. <laughs> I mean, I was stone cold sober and Leon came with me. We both hadn't had anything to drink that entire day. We'd gone to Resd in the morning just to, you know, attend some panels, listen to some speakers. And then I went home to have like a quick one hour nap to, you know, just refresh myself before this gig. And yeah, we just we didn't have a single drink all night, which is probably bad because I didn't have any water the entire night either, and I was I was like dying by the end of it. But yeah, yeah. it was worth it in the end. No, that's cool. That's cool. Um, so what I've been up to, um, I mean, obviously you guys have been tuning into the podcast, so not as much as Ray to talk about. But um, what I have done is I finally watched Valerian. Um, because that's now on Netflix and I thought it was really cool and now I need to buy the book even more because I think me and Leon were talking about this last time about how we need to read more French comics and now I've watched Mm -hmm. Valeria and I'm like okay yeah need to buy the book I really liked it because it kind of it hit me in that fifth element spot it kind of hits that fifth element spot and and it, it was very for me it just it felt like watching fifth element and I like Fifth Element and it had that kind of, it's that kind of fun watch for me where it's all like crazy alien races and not so space stuff going on and weird things, weird ancient stuff and whatever. And I really enjoyed it for that. I thought it was great. It's a, it's a good chunk of sci-fi. 
and I, I you know it's a good it's a fun watch i enjoyed it i mean you mentioned fifth element but that was i think i've heard that valerian was a big influence on the fifth element to begin with um and it was directed by luke besson right both of these films uh, fifth element and valerian so it's kind of come full circle it kind of makes yeah. sense that yeah they both go hand in hand yeah it would it would make sense that way yeah um, and you can actually, you can probably see one influence in the other, like the Fifth Element film influencing the way Valerian film was put together and maybe the Valerian comic influencing Fifth Element. But I'll probably mm. be able to talk more about that once I've actually read the book, <laughs> which I've not done yet, but I need to do. Um, the other thing I've been doing is I bought Nino Kuni 2 this weekend. Oh, which, sweet. Yeah, I never played the first one. Um, and it's just... Uh, I don't know where it came from, but I, I was look. I wanted a game to play, and I was on the cusp of buying Far Cry Five. And then I thought, yeah, but it's like another shooter, and I like the other Far Cry games. And it's an int- Far Cry Five had like this whole interesting aura about it because of the political things they were doing in the game. But apparently, they welshed out a little bit, and it could have been much more of a statement than it actually was. And in the end, it's just another straight-up Far Cry game, so it's like a different sandbox, but same tools kind of thing. And I was thinking, maybe I can wait for that to come down in price before I buy that. And oh, then definitely. Yeah. I remembered that Nino Kuni 2 had been out, and I was like, oh, you know, this is this is really cool. It's it's Studio Ghibli. It's, you know, it's it's got that kind of, like, magic and whimsy about it. It's a JRPG, which is a bit of a red flag sometimes for me because they are massive time sinks and i'm thinking Hmm. you know (laughs) am i going to get invested in this and i do find sometimes you know i get really excited for the first like so many hours of gameplay of jrpg and then i don't know whether it's because the game story has pacing issues or or, or whether that's because for me it feels like that might be a common thing among some of the jrpgs i've played that the gate that the story itself has like pacing issues and it gets to this point where it becomes a trudge mm. or I, I don't know, but something kind of my interest sort, sort of wanes and there's nothing that keeps me hooked and keeps me biting to the end. But at the moment I'm only a few hours into Nino Kuni 2, but at the moment it just like, it seems to be evenly spread out. So it's not, there's not one bit that feels it constantly feels like you're moving forward towards your goal it doesn't feel like you're sitting in a swamp somewhere hammering bad guys to you know get powerful enough to do something it's just, it's not like there's no grind to it so far there's no pacing issues as i would put it okay with this game so far as far as i am in it and it's really really good and really enjoyable and it's got that ghibli magic and yeah, Sophie's watching me play it as well because she enjoys it and she likes the aesthetic because she likes the Jubilee films. So, yeah, it's, it's a great game. Yeah, the first one was a big thing back in, I think it was like 2010, 2011 when it came out on the PS3. Um, and people were buzzing about it because it was a genuine collaboration between Studio Ghibli and I think, is it Level 5? who It is, did the f- yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, and the fact that it had like all these, I think it was Miyazaki himself was actually involved in it. And uh, Joe Hisaishi, who did some of the music for many of the, the Ghibli films. So, like, it had this whole package going on, and mm. I picked it up um, quite early on. I mean, you talk about, you know, your enthusiasm for JRPGs waning. You're talking to the king of, like, sampling the entrees of, like, loads <laughs> of different games. Like, I, I, fe- I fell off 
the first Nino Kuni really hard. Um, I love the style of it, but it had that thing where every cutscene just like slowed the pace of the game down, and I never really got that far. And I do regret yeah. it because I hear really good things about it. Um, the second one I've heard really good things about, so I'll I'll give it a go once it's mm. cheaper. And I think, as you were saying about Far Cry Five, I think you made the right choice about putting that on the back burner because yeah. um, it will come down in price eventually. Yeah, and I've heard mixed things about like just about that game in general yeah so yeah you can always get to that at some other point did you um do you find what i find about there being pacing issues with jrpgs sometimes do you do you ever find that oh 100 i think the opening for so many jrpgs that i've played like it's in it's in the design of the game where you start off weak and you slowly build up your skills whereas i'm the kind of person i like to just be thrown into stuff i think this is reflected in my taste in comics as well where i don't like yeah. so much exposition i don't like a, i don't like slow build-ups it's the same reason yeah. i don't really like fantasy novels because it's just That's... too wordy for me too much plodding exposition which really i guess it works if you're invested in it but i don't have the patience for that stuff these days i like to just yeah. be thrown directly in and like fair play to the people who can sit down and play 100 hours of a jrpg like you know in a go um because i kind of admire that and i'm really jealous of people who have that attention i just rarely do and i think the last one which is a big rarity in like the last couple of decades for me is persona 5 which the way it's built up just dragged me through because it it's yeah. constantly shifting it's like you mentioned with nino kuni it's constantly yeah. changing his gears that's um, it yeah see i fell off persona 5 but uh, that was for other reasons like that was more I didn't I think that was down to my general mood at the time like I was getting home from work and I just wasn't feeling like doing anything oh yeah Persona 5 was a slog towards the end like and again it's not even necessarily the game's Mm. fault it's just I was itching to play something new I think Nier Automata had come around come out around the same time and I wanted to finish that off and just yeah yeah, it always happens and then I got Crash Bandicoot and it, <laughs> the way I equate the difference between playing the two is like being offered the option of buying takeout pizza and having it delivered to your door fresh, hot and delicious and <laughs> being given the ingredients and told to make the pizza yourself, even though that might taste better in the end when you make it yourself and be less greasy and better for you, you're going to opt for the takeout. <laughs> you, get, yeah, you have to put work in. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. I get it. <laughs> yeah. So if you understand my metaphor, then you know what I'm getting at. That makes perfect sense, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's a tasty pizza. You should finish that game. I'm going to. I'm going to. I'm going to. Okay. Not... But um, yeah, so Nino Kuni 2. Great game. Um, other than that, I've been playing a bit more Magic again because I've sort of fallen hard for the cardboard crack, as I call it. <laughs> um, again, but not not in a way that I'm spending loads and loads and loads of money on it or anything. But, you know, it's just it's become a sort of main hobby of mine again, which I'm quite enjoying because it's a you know, you sit down at a table and you play games with people and it's analog and it's away from screen time. And it makes you think because you have to use your head for strategy and things like that. And you have to, you know, you have to work with what you've got in your hand. So when you pull cards off the top of your deck, you look at your cards and you have to work with what's there because you you know that's and you've got to you've got to you, you can you've got to build a play out of what you've got in your hand and you've got to like roll with the punches exactly kinda. yeah yeah so you've got to, you, you you've got to be able to react and you've got to be able to think forward as well about what's going to happen next turn and things like that with how the opponent's playing what they might or might not have in their hand and sort of stuff like that so 
it's quite it's quite cool for that i like it because it's you know that kind of thinking that analytical thinking or whatever yeah Yeah, in um, the same way that i admire people who can play jrpgs i really do admire people who can like develop like plays and strategies with randomized card games like the building the deck is always the most daunting part for me with these games i don't mind playing stuff like hearthstone where it's kind of randomized and you can pick a preset build or whatever Mm. and the the rules are relatively simple but magic has always daunted me like anything that has more than two or three levels of logic just i can't handle it it's the same reason i don't really like playing chess for example and i've been hearing this example a lot where I've recently been playing a game called Into the Breach, mm. um, which I don't know if you've heard of. Um, it's like sort of a mecha, top-down, isometric strategy game. Yeah. But it, in the way that you described, every hand is a new kind of puzzle to solve. You have to roll with the punches that comes with your new hand and whatever your opponent has done that particular round. There's not so much forward thinking required, or at least on a low-level yeah. gameplay, because the way that enemies react in Into the Breach are kind of yeah. randomised and you have to deal with each circumstance as its own little mini yeah, puzzle I mean, each round. Like, with magic, and that really works for me. But Sorry, go ahead. Yeah. I was going to say, I mean, with Magic, you know what's in your deck because you've built the deck. So you know what you have a chance of and what you don't have a chance of getting and you know what each card does. And hopefully if you've built your deck correctly, you'll know which cards work well together and how you should play those cards when they come out in that combination. But it's learning that, basically. And when you build a deck, um, you usually build it around a theme for a mm. certain rule or exploit or something like that. And, and you you basically, you, you work... You, the way you... Build, you I, I can't get into it too much because we'll take up too much time. But the way you get <laughs> into it is <clears throat> you decide on a win condition. So you decide on what's going to help you win. So, like... I will win by siphoning my opponent's life and mm. putting it onto my life total. So you will build a deck around a rule called life link, yeah. which is like makes basically a vampire deck or something like that. Decks with creatures that siphon life from other creatures and things like that, which give you a life lead and you build it that way. Yeah. Like but, vampiric creatures. And yeah. 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 That kind yeah. of stuff. But yeah, but yeah, I, I, I see what you mean. Yeah. I understand. I mean, that's exactly the, the level of, depth that i just can't handle but the thing i do love about magic the gathering is all the pretty pictures and the whole like just the 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 mood and the tone of the whole game and everything i think that's pretty rad so Mm. yeah i admire you for being into it as much as (laughs) yeah it's it's a fun game and it's not actually that hard to pick up anyway onto the comics which are the purpose of the podcast (laughs) i'm going to start by just saying a little piece about how much i loved batman number 44 because Batman number 44 was great. And the whole book, uh, as you know, as I've talked about before, Catwoman and Batman, Bruce and Selina are getting married. And we've all been invited to the wedding. And this book is, it, it came with two gorgeous covers, um, like twin covers, basically. One, which was Bruce Wayne standing in front of the mirror wearing a suit, like a wedding suit, um, like his groom outfit. Um, and he's looking in the mirror and staring back at him is Batman. And the other cover is Selina Kyle wearing a wedding dress, looking in the mirror, staring back at her as Catwoman. On the bottom of the cover, you've got, uh, with the Catwoman one, it says something borrowed, something blue. And the Batman one is something old, something new. So it's the old rhyme about weddings, you know, the tradition 
something mm. something old, something new, something pirate, something blue. And it's a really nice twin set of covers. Like, as soon as I... I mean, I was surprised. As soon as I saw that they were doing the two covers, I was like, I've got to have both of them. I didn't know if my local comic shop would have both of them because I didn't know how it would work. But I got there and they had them both side by side. Oddly enough, they had, like, tons and tons of the Catwoman one left and none of the Batman one. But, like... Huh. When I look at the two, the Catwoman one's actually the more interesting one. It's got like way more detail in it. It's it looks way more sort of it's a better composed picture as far as I'm concerned. Like the Batman one's pretty plain looking. There's not a lot going on. Um the room looks pretty stark, but with the Catwoman one you've got more detail and it. it's just a beautiful cover. So I like the Catwoman side better. Um and yeah, they're both it's just it's a great story the whole the whole story in this book is catwoman shopping for her wedding dress but she's not doing it the conventional way because she's a master thief so go figure um (laughs) instead she decides to wake up in the middle of the night go into the sewers and go under the dress shop break into the dress shop from under the dress shop try on dresses and drink champagne from the bottle and then steal (laughs) the dress and take it and take it back to the manor. Like she gets back all before Batman wakes up. Basically, she all the while uh, it, it seems like she's reminiscing about all the times that like her and you know like the the, the history that these two characters have. Like all through uh, different um, costumes, different like periods within the comic. Basically, within so like from from the golden age to silver age to modern age and whatever. Like through the different iterations of these two characters like all the history they have and the way they've appeared and it sort of cycles through like a history of different costumes the characters have worn and the whole theme of the story seems to be about costumes and it's just really cool and i really enjoyed it being um, the massive batman weeb that i am so yeah no it was really cool yeah it sounds like a nice arc and looking at these covers you're right like both of these covers are pretty sweet and next to each other they kind of line up as well it's they it's do, like yeah. it's yeah the perspective of the like the the glass windows that they've you know in the backdrop and the the curved stairs lining into each other and like bats doing this power pose and Selena doing this like kind of elegant thing yep. with her hands behind her back yeah it's really sweet I like so it. that is um, the the two main covers are both by uh, Michael Janin and uh, Joel Jones there's a variant by Olivia Copiel and it's written by Tom King obviously art by Mike, uh, Michael Yannin and Joel Jones. So yeah, great book. And if you're not reading this Batman run, I urge you to get on it because it's fantastic. And Tom King is doing a great job, as I always say. Yeah, and then into the actual comics that I read for the purpose of talking about and for review for this uh, podcast. Um, first one that I've got here sort of follows my recent sort of theme of things that are Studio Ghibli or Ghibli-esque. Um, and uh, that would be Isola or Isola. Um, I still haven't worked out how to say it. I think I'm probably going to go with Isola. And this is a Ghibli-esque adventure fantasy comic with notes of Legend of Zelda in there as well. The artwork is absolutely gorgeous and it does a wonderful job of pulling you into the panels and putting you into the environment it depicts. So this book... As soon as the book opens, bam, it's, it's a cold open and you're thrust into the wilderness with this uh, 
this character, this this Captain Rook, and this this tiger that is travelling with her, and they seem they're sleeping rough in the wilderness, and they seem to be on some kind of difficult journey to reach a place called Isola or Isola. Their reason for going there appears to be to lift some kind of curse, and it's the, the like the the environment they're in, like you just get this the way that it's the way that the art works and the way that the panels are put together and composed, you just get this like complete feeling of the kind of the cold misty morning air or like when it hits dusk and you know things are getting cooler and you've got like the dew falling and think you can just sort of feel it when you look at the panels you know mm. like it, it you know like sometimes when food is drawn deliciously and you can imagine what it smells like if that makes sense yeah yeah it's like it's coming off the page yeah 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 but more than that because it's not just coming off the page you're inside the page by this you're, point you're falling into the page yeah, yeah. exactly yeah it is a wondrous place filled with wildlife, familiar and also some mythical beasts. And there's a two-page spread where our protagonists happen upon a carcass of one such beast. And the scale of it is communicated wonderfully. Like, this two-page panel is to die for. Um, you'll notice I'm not talking too much about the story. And that's because it's really hard to talk about this without spoiling the first issue for you guys. Because you need to have the cold open and you need to go through the book and experience it the way that I did in order to enjoy it I think if I if I talk about what exactly what happens and give you a complete synopsis of the first issue then um you it'll be spoiled for you so yeah <laughs> but yeah the, the the scale of this beast in this two page spread is is magnificent and I I really like the way they do the character designs in this like I mentioned it was Ghibli-esque it's got that kind of um Laputa Mm, yeah. feel about it with the way that you know like the armor and the the sort of like the the rocks and everything and it's just the way the, the, the it just feels kind of um well i say laputa i kind of imagine laputa and without the sort of technological without the technological angle um breath of the wild legend of zelda breath of the wild yeah i see what you mean it's got this that kind of aesthetic, that kind of like born of nature, but also kind of leather and metal thing. Yeah, where it's a combination of both. Yeah, yeah, where things look modern but at the same time aren't. Mm. It's got that about it. Um, I guess it's not as there's a lot of steam powered stuff in Laputa, if I remember correctly. Yeah, it's a it's a steampunk yeah. sort of aesthetic. Yeah. yeah, so there's not there's not a lot of steam powered stuff in this so far, but. And it just it just kind of has that that feel about it, and that's what I like. I like the character designs. I like the way it's done, and I love, yeah, I love the way that they they the panels is is like some of the panels actually flow beyond their borders into the empty space, which like really makes the action pop off the page. So there's some points where there's some kind of um, some some fast paced action going, and uh, you you've got like things coming out of the like coming out of the borders like popping beyond the panels and and i think that's a great way to illustrate it and give you a sense of urgency and everything else which i really like uh and also within this the way they do this there's some great use of onomatopoeia and sound description um and the way that they have drawn um we talked about this with vinegar teeth you know when they they do intentionally uh misshapen or weird shaped um speech bubbles and things yeah. So you don't just get, it's not just a a a um, a string of letters 
or a, a, a phrase or a word describing the sound. Mm. It's the way the speech bubble is shaped gives you kind of a an idea of the length of the sound, like a hiss. You know, like a hiss would probably have like a drawn out, long, uh, almost wavy speech bubble, like a mm. kind of thing, like smoke or something, just like hissing away, like flowing off onto the wind. And and it does that does that quite nicely in some places. I quite like that. The way the book's written is interesting because the majority of the communication is one-sided. Um, and without spoiling too much, I quite like how that works. And I like the way that they show the other side of the conversation, uh, the way they illustrate that in the reactions of the, uh, the, the, the person, we'll say, being spoken to is really cool. Um, and I love the rash, easily riled nature of Rook as well. She's great. She she like kind of gets to the point where she's about to lose her temper and then she's like really quick to sort of come down and remember and apologize. She's like, oh, oh I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> and then sort of like remembers her place and it's great. And yeah, it's it's an engaging first chapter and I just really want to see where it's going and I really want more of this book. It's great. And I think you should read it, Ray. I, well, you actually caught my attention very early on. So while you were talking, I bought and downloaded it on Comixology. <laughs> so I've been skimming through it as you've been talking. And you're right, This the art is gorgeous in this. It's like ethereal and like moody and really well lit and like rain filled. And like the thing you were talking about with the, um, like the clothing and the armor, it's yeah. kind of got this jungle gothic vibe to it is that what you're trying to express like it's yeah it's, yeah it, it, like she's holding a spear and it's all kind it's kind of medieval with the leather and the you know the metal helms but it's also she's wearing cloaks and like going through the jungle and forest and yeah like doing this this hunter gatherer rogue type type deal yeah it's super cool i really like it and it's almost without <laughs> i can see how carefully you were wording things without giving too much away it does have this like life of pi style um you know, like the dream sequences in that film, yeah, or like the the slightly the bit, moments where he's kind of tripping out, or like the you know the sky is filled with stars and like the, the ocean feels like it lasts forever. It's got that kind of like magical um, realism type thing going on to it. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? It's great. Yeah, the the the, the coloring in this is amazing. Just yeah. some of the some of the stripes and the colors and the lines and the way that like the the moonlight or the you know the the light at night is expressed. It's almost like mm. in a movie where you have the kind of fake darkness where everything's tinged with blue, even though yeah. if it was truly dark, you wouldn't be able to see anything. It's yeah, it's really, really cool. I'm skimming no past, no further past the halfway mark. So I want to ruin it for myself, mm. but yeah, I'm, I'm in, I'm in, I'm going to, I'm going to pick this up. Even, even like the, like you said, the breath of the wild thing that makes a lot of sense. Cause it's got the, like the cave painting, um, like scratchings on the wall, that kind of thing, like the runic yeah, the, symbols the, and all the that. The runic yeah. hieroglyphics and whatever else, and it's mm. yeah, the carvings and stuff, and it's great. And I think um, we're given a taster of the next issue at the back of the first one, and I okay. think issue two is going to be a bit more Breath of the Wild than this one is. Okay. But yeah, it's it's really cool. I really enjoyed that one. So that is Isola, and that is Image Comics, and the... Um, the cover is actually like a fantasy map um, laid over with um, a picture of our main character, Captain Rook. Uh, and she is, um, she's the captain of the Royal Guard. And she's 
sort of like in this kind of like orange sort of filter over the top and then it's got Ursula in big kind of um, carving style hieroglyphic type letters over the front of that in black and it's really bold and striking and then you've got uh, underneath that you've got Isla in what appears to be the language of the um, like the hieroglyphic language used throughout the book which appears on some of the ancient ruins and stuff I think which is uh, pretty cool I like that I like that they well I like that they've seemingly gone to the time and effort to uh, come up with a, a language for this with its own letters and symbols. I like that. I do like mm. when people do that. I love that. Um, yeah, and uh, that is by uh, you've got your story by Brendan Fletcher and Carl Kershaw. Uh, art is Carl Kershaw and Masasic, and the cover is by Carl Kershaw. And that has been on the stands since uh, April fourth. You might be in luck. Might still be on the shelves by the time you hear this. Yeah. You might find it if you don't, I mean, if you can't find it on the shelves, there's always Comixology and uh, there's always, if you really, really want a hard copy of it, there's always eBay. Uh, You can see if anyone's selling any on there. So on from there, we have a book called Analogue, which is another one of those books that I probably shouldn't read. (laughs) (laughs) So another one of those things that's a little too close to comfort, a little too close to reality for comfort. And um, the way things are going with uh, the way information is shared and the way we live nowadays where pretty much everything is online anyway, whether you want it or not, um, it's hard to pick and choose what people see and what people don't see. And it's getting more and more difficult to police that yourself, I think, (laughs) with some social media outlets. So... um, yeah, that's that's where this book comes from. It's called Analog, and uh, it's an action-packed and very topical sci-fi thriller set in a near future, where anything that's put onto the internet is now worldwide public knowledge, whether you want it to be or not. So, if you put something in what you perceive to be what what you say you've got things on like a private cloud account somewhere where you keep photographs and videos and whatever, no such thing anymore. If you put something up there, everyone sees it. Uh, There's no barriers. Everything is open and available following a catastrophic data leak. Um, And it plays with the idea of, as I've been describing, security within social networking, especially. And it feels to be coming from a similar angle to number one with a bullet as far as information safety goes. I don't know if you get that feeling. Yeah, I think they're parallel to each other. Um, yeah. Just to mention, because I've, I've read this as well, and yeah, this is definitely another one of those perfect stories that will feed your particular paranoid technological fantasies or like uh, disturbances. Yeah, it's it's super designed to make you freak out. This is <laughs> this is a great story, and I love the fact that the um, like everybody's information is released in one go in an event called like the Great Doxing. Yeah, I love that it's been called that. It's yeah, and it resulted in a world full of like reconnaissance drones and self-driving cars and like riot police everywhere. It's, it's wild. Yeah, people people having sex in public in cars, and then their patrons asking what kind of car they're having sex in. <laughs> I caught that in one of the panels, and it's brilliant because uh, yeah, the main and I like how the, yeah the main character walks past and like answers the question because yeah, they're exactly, shouting out yeah. the window. <laughs> Yeah, it's a strange world, and it's not that far into the future, apparently. Yeah, I mean, I love the comedy twist that this has to it. It's like, it's mm. it's not... I mean, it's it's a serious, serious topic. 
but they've managed to add just enough funny to it for me to actually be able to sit back and enjoy it. Yeah, because there's some it has dark humour to it. Yeah, it has me laughing out loud, actually, when I'm reading it. So maybe that's just because I'm a bad person. But No, I think that's better than you being a gibbering wreck yeah. and being scared of your scared of your computer <laughs> or your phone. So it's all good. <laughs> no, yeah, it's a, it's, a great, it's a great story. I like it for that. Um, and uh, I feel like I'm represented in this book in some ways. <laughs> <laughs> well, definitely, because like, if I can go in, if I can backtrack slightly and describe yeah. what the story's about, right? Yeah, go for so it. So yeah. follow- we start off on like a, a hitman sitting on a bench um, who's like a super confident hitman. He seems to have the advantage um, being sat on this bench, but bleeding out um, and being injured and outnumbered, you know, um, uh, having been chased down by his pursuers. And he's just like kind of chill and he's calmly like logicking out to his pursuers how things will go down. Um, And they're really disbelieving of him having the upper hand, but he very calmly like explains what's going to happen, who's going to get shot first, this and that. And they call his bluff and then they find out that he wasn't bluffing. He was genuinely in control of the situation. The guy's name is Jack McGuinness. He calls himself a ledger man and he carries your secrets. And it's an amazing cold open. Um, It turns out, so this Jack McGuinness is basically this cold, broken, pragmatic old man. He's an old man, but he calls himself a a generation Xer, which is a terrifying prospect. Like he's us. He's he's us, the jaded guy who grew up on the cusp of the internet. You know, like we knew what the world was like before the internet was there. And then we grew up with the internet. We learned how it worked. And then we also got to see how it was shaped instead of being dropped into it after it had reached its maturity. And we learned to fear it. <laughs> learned to fear it from the beginning. We learned how to control it as well. We knew, yeah. we learned what to put on it and what not to put on it. Mm. And even then we still make mistakes. So God knows what the kids are going to be doing. Anyway, um, so like it turns out he's he's a the reason it's called analog is because he's a guy who will carry your secrets for you in an analog format. So no digital. He will take your data from one place to another on a physical medium. And I kind of like this made me remember a a term that I learned back in like the 90s. I think it was called sneaker net, where that would represent anybody basically carrying data on like a floppy disk or a CD. Um by walking, by physically taking the data from one place to another, because either it was too much data to pass through what would have been, you know, telephone lines at the time, or it wasn't, you know, it was it was so private that it couldn't be sent through um, data transmission, which could be, you know, interpreted. It, you know, the person took it yeah. from one place to another in like a briefcase or in their hand or you know in the in their backpack or whatever. Um, so yeah, it's it's kind of going around that and we've so, kind of been circled back to it in this world because of the way things have gone down we now to keep a secret the only way to do it is to hire a legerman to transport your documents for you and we've exactly. sort of, we've sort of yeah. gone full circle really with that it's a really interesting premise and it seems like something that like it must be happening these days already like we do hear about people oh, yeah. taking like sensitive information and then leaving it on the tube you know um <laughs> All of those kind of things. Um, and like, so then we, we, we learn about this guy. We learn about the, the people that he works with. We learn about the people he does these jobs for. And then we flash back to a time which is on like the cusp of the advent of artificial intelligence. And we meet this dot-com tech whiz um, called Oppenheimer, who's like this Zuckerbergian type with compromised morals and a monopolized digital platform, which has been abused for political gain. Um, which sounds really relevant. And right? also 
to sort of pick on the fact that he's called Oppenheimer and he's created something <laughs> that is, you know... A modern nuclear bomb. <laughs> exactly, yes. A modern thing which changes the shape of the world. Yeah. Yes, yes. Mm. I quite... And so... No, go on. Sorry, I, f- I found that quite relevant. I quite enjoyed that, and yeah, the, as you were saying, it is it is a, it is very relevant in in what's happening here with this Zuckerberg type dude, this Oppenheimer guy. Yeah, um, it's just it's, it sounds like an interesting character. We don't really get to know much about him, but we we see what Jack McGuinness feels about him even before he talks to the guy. Like he knows who he is, and he knows how he feels about him, and he knows how he feels about the things he's created from the get-go you know um and so we get teased of this dramatic world-changing event that happens in palo alto which happens to be like the californian silicon valley tech haven but is also the name of like a network security company i don't know if that's a reference but it's you know um like currently it's like a tech haven area um and jack claims to have played a pivotal role in this world-changing event that happens there um, and then we get kind of get dragged back into the present day without having any answers. We don't find out what happened in Palo Alto. We don't have we don't find out what happened to cause the great doxing. We don't see what his role was in it. And we get dragged back to the present day um, to have a cliffhanger shoved in our faces. And it's just like this this issue one is like a perfect opening, I think. And we talk about this a lot about it, you know, issue ones being kind of like the opening scenes to a TV show or a movie. This is amazing. Like it's perfectly pitched, perfectly placed, uh, paced. Mm. I, I loved it. I'm really glad that you took, you know, brought me onto this. I loved it. I loved, I loved his monologuing as well. Mm. Like it, it just, it just felt so like noir. Yeah. Like, like it had this like really like sort of no, detective noir feel about it when he's when the main character starts monologuing at the beginning of the book and you get the, the monologue uh, boxes, um, and it's as I say, it's laced with comedy and intrigue and there's some really nice establishing panels that sort of like thrust us into this new world of everything being open and on show because what we're given is kind of a where's Wally of like this this one set of panels where it's done horizontally across the two pages. We're given a kind of a where's Wally of people arguing about things mm. and doing things that seem completely outlandish but are now commonplace because everyone sees and hears everything so what does it matter anyway you know like there's people shouting each other in the street about dick pics and things like that and it's just like Mm. (laughs) it's great it's great for that and and he's like well you know new york was like this before anyway so that's why i'm still here (laughs) you know (laughs) yeah yeah like everyone was airing their dirty laundry to begin with and now you have no choice but to put your dirty laundry out to air yeah exactly yeah Mm. and um I just, I just thought that was great, and I just love the the sort of the tinge of irony in all of it, and the fact that it's so with with things that are going on in the news right now. This book is like really hot. It's like really on, <laughs> really yeah, on it's topic. on point. Yeah, because I like how it sets up this thing of how people went in very different ways. Like some of them after the great docs and they just dived straight in because like what do they have to lose anymore they put everything on the internet and like they fully embrace technology which is something that we do right now or you've got people who tried who have attempted to take themselves entirely off the grid like he does um (laughs) because it benefits his job and um you have these people who own like for example we see a bar owner who shouts out a guy who's talking to his wristwatch um because like no technology of any form is allowed in his in his establishment yeah Yeah. Um, and like it's not again it's not too far off what we have now i've got friends who refuse to like sign into like facebook or um 
you know don't you don't even like to use whatsapp with these encrypted things because they just don't trust it and it's this is just an extrapolation of what we have now if the mm. worst had happened yeah and i i have I, I know people that are in the same position that would just refuse to use social networking and things like that and that's fine it's when you find out the reason why that bar is a no tech bar mm. um and you start to sort of delve more into our protagonist our main character uh and we learn a bit more about his dealing in in what has happened and his guilt mm. yeah and the way he deals with that and that's when it actually becomes quite sad but then at the same time like if he hadn't have done that what would have happened which is like the sort of the question that the book asks hmm. um and the cliffhanger at the end is brilliant i must say um Involves my favourite character in the book. <laughs> Typical. <laughs> well, let's, let's, not, let's not go too far into why. Let's not go too <laughs> far into that. Yeah. No, but he... Yeah, so, so my favourite character appears towards the end of the book and he's part of the cliffhanger. And when you read that bit of the book, you'll know why he's my favourite character. <laughs> but yeah, that is uh, analogue number one. And uh, that is uh, a story by Jerry Duggan. Uh, the art and cover are by David O'Sullivan and Jordi Belair. Um, see her name a lot nowadays. She colours a lot oh, yeah. of stuff. Yeah, she does a lot of colours for a lot of people. Okay. Um, and we have variant cover by Declan Shelby. And that is on Image Comics. And uh, again, that was another one from the 4th, two weeks ago. Um, so if you're lucky, you might still be able to find it. And the cover's kind of nice. It's got um, it's got our main guy, Jack McGuinness, uh, standing with his back to a tree. Um, there's a briefcase and there's a bunch of guys that seem like they're hunting for him. And he's bleeding and there's a bloody handprint on the briefcase. And he's like he's in the middle of a shootout and it's great. I love it. See, I really didn't like the cover for this. I thought his head looked too big for the rest of his body. But, like, again, don't judge a book by its cover. Uh, I, like, they... I like the way they've done the face and the, this kind of squareness of it all. It's got this kind of um, Samurai Jackness about it. Kind of. Yeah. Like Samurai Jack, but without the... Um, I was going to use the word bland. That's not fair. Like... Uh, I don't know, abstracted, with blocky. more detail. Samurai yeah. Jack with more detail, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I get what you mean, yeah. Yeah, less less cartoony, less abstract, yeah. Hmm. I thought it was good, though. I thought it was great for that. Um, okay, so this brings back to me again something that I read, uh, Solo, which I have been reading, and um, I enjoy talking about this book because it's like it's pure escapism this book is pure escapism um scales and scoundrels number eight now as i keep saying amazing as always i've talked about scales and scoundrels before we seem to be at the beginning of a new arc with this one and this could also be taken as a self-contained chapter um and uh i won't talk too much about it because we're eight issues in now and it treats us to a bit of history and lore surrounding the lands and surrounding lou our main character and uh the various peoples that dwell in those lands and uh, as always the art is to die for sweeps me off to a fantasy realm the writing's great the action's fun the pacing's perfect the tone it's, it's like the humor's great as well it's it's kind of got like um what i was talking about previous episode with my the things that i like about adventure comics so where it can deal with a um a kind of lofty um moral maybe or issue and it can bring it down to, it can boil it down to a level where 
it can be easily digested by anyone of any age. And I think this book is built for people of all ages. I, I do believe that. Um, and it's just, it was just really great fun. And it had, this one had haughty elves in it and everyone loves haughty <laughs> elves, right? So yeah, no, it's great. I love it. Great fun adventure story. And that's, that's just me saying my little piece about Scales and Scoundrels 8, because if you're not already buying Scales and Scoundrels, why aren't you buying Scales and Scoundrels? Even, you know, buy it on, you can go to your local, you, you go to your local comic shop and you can add it to your pull list and get it that way. They've even got the first trade in Waterstones. I saw it in Waterstones the other day. Oh, nice. So okay. yeah, it's, it's, it's making it out there. It's quite accessible. Um, which is what I like when something like this, which um, isn't, is again published on Image. It's an Image book, um, but it's it wouldn't necessarily have been one that would have made the mainstream. And when you go to Waterstones, you you see the usual, you know, the DC, the Marvel, the mm-hmm. mainstream stuff. You don't usually see things like this, um, but I'm I'm starting to see you know more sort of indie graphic novels in Waterstones, um, and Scales and Scoundrels is in there too. So yeah, cool. Yeah, I love the artwork in this. That watercolor, like wash thing. Yeah, yeah, it's really cool. It is. It is cool. It's really, it's really beautiful. Um, quick roll, quick roll of credits for Scales and Scoundrels. Uh, story is by Sebastian Gurner, and the art and the cover in the book are by Gallard. Um, and yeah, it's a great one. So, um, read the first arc, or even if you just want a nice sweet little self-contained story uh with a bit of fantasy sort of bit of fantasy element in it then grab this single issue and see 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 if it grabs you and if it grabs you go back and grab the rest of it and carry on reading it because it's great and i will be an advocate for this book until until the day it finishes i believe (laughs) (laughs) yeah definitely um and where do we go from there ray well i've picked up something called lucy dreaming which I think I talked about in uh, in our you know 2017 wrap up episode where I brought it up as one to look forward to in 2018 finally came out on I think the fourth of April um, finally got around to reading it so this is writer Max Bemis uh, illustrator Michael Dialinus so that's spelled D I A L Y N A S so I hope I'm pronouncing that right um, and letters by Colin Bell so it follows a Uh, the titular Lucy, who's an immature, sarcastic, somewhat patronizing and definitely pretty pretentious teenager who has that pretty common balance of like smart enough to know that she's not that smart, (laughs) you know, or nothing special and masks her really obvious social anxieties and insecurities by behaving like a bit of a know-it-all asshole. Um, She kind of looks down on her peers while simultaneously coveting their lives and like coveting who they are and their confidence and whatever they express themselves to be. Mm. And like to quote herself from issue number one, she says, I should be a child prodigy or something, not a loser with a chip on her shoulder. Lucy is pretty relatable. <laughs> like teenage <laughs> Rahul can relate to this. Right? Yeah. Um, and so we're introduced to her describing like the, the hyper gory details of her current book that she's reading um, to her concerned parents who thought she was reading this Twilight XP book. You know, her dad mentions like with a dumbfounded face when she's describing what's happening in this pretty vicious book. Like, I thought you were going to read the book about the kissy vampires. And she like pretends to barf and it's this whole thing. Um, you know, so we find out that she like she loves English. It's her favorite class. She loves to read. She spends all her time reading when, you know, quote unquote, all the other kids are on their phones. Um, and she desperately wants to be, quote, the hero of her own story, end quote. And so 
as soon as she utters that, falls asleep reading her book, cue the shenanigans. She falls asleep and reawakes as Princess Eleanor Fadar, caught in a melodramatic Star Wars slash Mass Effect-esque space opera filled with laser gun battles and witty aliens and attractive monologuing rogues and like long corridors to run and shoot down. Except it's not a dream, obviously. You know, the violence is too real and the pain she feels is definitely too real. This is not a dream. Um, so I'll stop there before I give away too much. It's a really promising first entry into this new series. Um, the artwork is super my thing. So it's kind of split. The art is split between Lucy in the real world, as we know it, with her kind of anime-esque looks and, you know, how she's the only person in her class to stand out because she's got bright pink hair and her nose is always in a book and mm. she's, the, you know, the one in the corner while everyone else is chatting to each other the quirky um, kid the quirky anime kid like you can always yeah. tell who the protagonist is in an anime right yeah um but then the art in the real world is sorry sorry the art in this real world is cartoony and vibrant and it has like really exaggerated features and bold block colors and thick angular edges like i particularly like the way her hair is drawn because it's kind of it's kind of angular but you get the sense that it's curly and pink and bushy it's, it's pretty cool um, and this contrasts really well with the art when she's in the dream world, which is more realistically proportioned, even though despite the presence of like all these alien figures, and has a much more smoothly shaded and realistic shadowy aesthetic while still remaining pretty colourful. Um, and like it seems, the, the, the dream world, it seems like smeared in grime, and it has you know all these futuristic weapons which glow and diffuse light and cast darkness and shadows onto the surroundings. Um, but you also see like these very real consequences of when these weapons are used. Like I particularly like the laser swords, which are, I mean, they're obviously trying to be like lightsabers, but they're less rigid and composed than lightsabers. They're more smoky and flowy with all these shifting edges and like the, you know, the lightsaber-esque um, bright beam of white in the middle. And then you see the color flowing off the edges. I just, I, I dig the aesthetic of this. It's, it's super cool. And it's, it's an escapist fantasy designed for the angsty bookworm slash nerd emo child in all of us, <laughs> which I think I'm sure a lot of us can relate to this. Right. Yeah. Um, so I, I'm in, I think this is great. Uh, that was Lucy dreaming. Um, the cover is what sold me. It's got the, you know, the, the smoothly shaded bright colors, like it goes from yellow to pink and um, you can see Lucy in her real world self sat at her school desk, you know, reading a book. And all around her, you see the dream figures that of um, Princess Fadar that she ends up in in the dream world, mm. as you know, like shooting each other in the back in in the foreground, and it's just it's just lovely. A um, couple of like points that I didn't know how to feed into what I said earlier. So like, it's nice that she has a good relationship with her parents because you know it opens with them talking to her about her book. They don't judge yeah. her tastes or anything. You know, when they ask if she was going to read the vampire. Uh, the Twilight-esque book and she makes fun of it, you know, they, they're still on board with whatever she's doing. Um, and also, like, the parents seem to have a good relationship with each other. Mm. You know, their their kinks and, like, their sex drive is into that. And Lucy herself seems aware of it, but kind of grossed out by it, but also mature enough to understand it. And it's this whole, you know, like, grossed out teenage thing, which was I thought was well done. And lastly, like, I think Lucy's alter ego has a very Star Wars-inspired bun in her hair. And so f when you're first introduced to her, it looks like she's got Rey's double bun. So you know how in um, The Force Awakens, you see her with like two buns at the back of her head, as opposed to Princess Leia's like cinnamon buns on the side of her head. But then when Lucy turns around, we find out it's a quadruple bun. Like it's, it's like they've taken Star Wars <laughs> and doubled it. It's, I just thought that was a neat touch. <laughs> That's kind of yeah. cool because the way you describe her is like she, she wants to be extraordinary. So she's like taken star wars if she's watched star wars to the nth level kind of thing you know 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, I think that's what it comes from because the book that yeah. she's reading as she falls asleep is a very Star Wars esque. Like I think yeah. it's called Star Saga or something. And there's this this whole thing of like how the the charming the charming rogue dude um, clearly has a thing for her. San in her print or something like that is his name. I've forgotten what it was, but it's an equally ridiculous name. Um, <laughs> and like he's monologuing and being overly melodramatic in a very space opera kind of way. Yeah. And you know he's professing his love to her in in you know in a roundabout fashion. And she's like, "Have you seen me? I'm nothing special." And then she spots herself in the mirror in her you know in her dream state, and she looks at herself and like just grins and goes, "I look good." Like it's just this whole like the the, t- the teenage fantasy thing. It's it, it yeah. plays it off really well. Yeah. No, I can. I, I think I could definitely relate to that some way. <laughs> yeah, it kind of makes me embarrassed about what I was like as a kid because it's like, yes, don't be an asshole. <laughs> but, yeah. but you know, everyone goes through their thing, and mm-hmm. I think I'd like to see where it takes her and what she learns from from this whole process. And it ends on a kind of an interesting cliffhanger as well. So that yeah. sounds good. I kind of want to read that now. Yeah, if if we can swap, I'll pick up. Well, I've already picked up Isola. You can pick up Lucy Dreaming. Yeah, I have to grab that check it out good stuff yeah um it is just one issue isn't it it's not yeah you said that it's number one so far um yeah. but we can get to that in the pull list later yeah so um my last one is a cold war spy thriller or a spy thriller that has its roots in the cold war um and it is called the dead hand and this is issue one now i start with the cover on this one and with the credits. So, story is by a Kyle Higgins. The art and the cover are by a Stephen Mooney and a Jordi Belair. Um, and this was April 11th. So, this was one week ago. Um, now, the cover art, it's got like this kind of... Um, you know when you're looking at a James Bond DVD case? Hmm. I think is the best way to describe it. Um, And it's kind of got like a a flash of some of the main characters in the story and uh, characters we haven't met yet, actually, in the first issue. Um, And it's uh, it's got kind of this print thing going on, like almost like part James Bond DVD cover, part propaganda poster. But you like... It just screams spy thriller and just oozes like action and, you know, everything that you come to associate, action and style and everything else, right? So, also, it's got that kind of Soviet aesthetic about it as well with red and stars and things like that. I like the brutalist, um, the title, yeah. the dead hand with the, the the font that it's written in. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. see what you mean. I'm looking at it right now. I, yeah. I 100% get what, you, get what you mean with the James Bond cover type thing. Yeah, you get what I'm coming from. Yeah, especially, like pulp, pulp thriller type yeah, cover. Yeah, especially the, the blonde with the silencer, you know. Mm. Yeah. Um, and the cross around her neck. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, Cold War spy thriller with a fantastic twist in the first issue. So, like, you get to the end of the first issue and you're already, your head's on backwards. It's like, what? <laughs> so, yeah. Um, and so what I picked up from this is we've got this uh, this main character, this guy. Uh, what I'm going to do, actually, is I'm just going to read out the synopsis from the uh, the image website. So the arc or the story in this first issue, um, the, the, 
we're introduced to is called Cold War Relics. And this is part one. And we've got Carter Carlson, who is our main character. Uh, He was a highly decorated operative during the Cold War. But in the fall of 1991, as the Soviet Union collapsed, Carter discovered a secret that not only changed his life, but also altered the course of history. Now, as the mysterious dead hand threatens to end the world once again, the only thing standing in its way is the relationship between an old spy and a little boy. So, during the first issue, um, we are given a kind of rundown of who Carter Carlson is. That's like the first half of the first issue is his past. Um, So, we're told, you know, he grew up in the 50s or whatever, um, and his parents like his dad was in insure like a, a claims adjuster or something like that insurance guy his mother was an ex-secretary um and apparently you know he, he loved comic books um like kind of in the 50s and 60s and apparently he had a good childhood um but maybe that's just the way he remembers it apparently his parents weren't that well adjusted but it's uh it goes through that and then it shows you that he joins the army and everything else and how his he believes that his comic books were like a direct influence on him joining the army and wanting to be a soldier and things like that um and it's almost like he's a product of the american dream propaganda machine like mm. the perfect product of the american dream propaganda machine and the way that it lays it out and the way that i read it i feel like it's a pretty good subversion of the captain america thing okay so like um you know he 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 joined the army because he wanted to do a good thing and help and it's like he's been fed these stories through comic books and things like that and he's been fed this kind of like um How do I describe it? He's been fed the American dream, basically, through comic books and whatever else as a kid and through wanting to be a superhero and things like that. He's decided he's going to join the army and he ends up part of a black ops team and it spirals from there. And then we're shown um, what happened at the end of the Cold War, like what happened during his final mission. And then we flash forward to his present where he's a um, cop in a small town. Small American style town. He's a cop, hmm. uh, and that's where I'm going to leave it. Because if I go any further, I spoil it too much. <laughs> but yeah, okay. um, it's uh, it's great the way it goes through that, and the way it, it just like because he's even got like when he's a spy and he's like a, a decorated operative and whatever, he's even got like this kind of like Winter Soldier slash Captain America outfit going hmm. on. And I just, I just saw it as a really good subversion and a really good like twist on the whole Winter Soldier, Captain America thing. And uh, especially, you know, the way they've handled the Winter Soldier in the um, the recent uh, movies in the cinematic mm. universe, yeah, kind of like that, a little bit okay. is what they've done with this. And I, I just thought it was really cool. Um, I loved that. Um, sort of takes the all-american town and the all-american soldier and all-american values and what it does with that is like because it just takes it and it just it just kind of takes everything and flips it a little bit flips it a little bit i guess this is the best way i can describe this this is not you know i'm not i'm not being articulate as i want to be about this it's kind of frustrating (laughs) but yeah it's great the way it does it um 
and it's like the duality and the disparity is laid out in full view between the east and the west like from the cold war days and how how that's maybe still there as well mm-hmm. um and and is the cold war actually over you know and i guess this is kind of relevant to um current goings on as well actually in a way but yeah no it's um it's a, it's a great comic for that and and it's a great spy thriller and uh, i would recommend it to anyone that likes that kind of story because i certainly enjoyed it it does sound really cool yeah mm, it is very cool um yeah so that's that's another one for recommendation and that is the dead hand number one and that is published on image comics as well so i think we've just recorded another image cast haven't we <laughs> well i can i can combo break that because yep. i'd like to talk about a comic made by belfast city comics who i'd never heard of before um and it looks like they do really independent like they seem like a scrappy little publication um so basically this this comic i want to talk about is called pug nay that's mm-hmm. that's pug dot n-a-y dot s-h-u-s so yeah. it's it's about a pug it's about a dog yeah. it's um if i can take the synopsis that i found on amazon by the way i should backtrack and say i again i think this is one that i talked about in the looking forward to in 2018 um i don't know why i must have read it on a list or seen it on you know upcoming and then it had been delayed by a few months and it finally came out again on the 4th of april i believe and the only place i could find it was on kindle like not even in the shops not on comiXology like kindle amazon kindle for 99p um um, it's by dawn haji or hagi uh the author and illustrator is owain davies um so basically the synopsis is a colorful and character-filled story about a strong-minded young pug and the adventures she gets up to with her band of physically disfigured toys um and we we get part one this issue number one is part one and it's about a um a young pug becomes fixated on a dinosaur who seems to be the center of all her problems so it's told from the point of view of the oldest pug in a litter um the uh, and her name is molly and this this book is like super lo-fi like it's for want of a better word it's really ugly <laughs> it, it looks like a day one scanlation of an of a manga i don't know if listeners out there have ever experienced this before but you know when um uh, like an a issue of a manga comes out in japan and then people rush to scan it in and then manually translate it and when you get the day one scanlation it's normally really poorly scanned like it's you know they haven't done the cleanup or anything and they do a very rudimentary um translation pass and not just in terms of the quality of the language translation but also how how well the actual text has the japanese text has been replaced with the english this is very much like that it looks i think it's deliberately made to look like a day one scanlation where it's um everything's poorly arranged and it has like amateurish text and it almost looks like it's done in powerpoint almost um like the text is just dropped ramshackle over the art so it has like a rectangular opaque backdrop and then white text over it in like in the kind of font you'd find in just Word or PowerPoint. Um, so the plot focuses on Molly corralling a group of dogs who may or may not be toys. I'm not really clear uh, to venture into the new world, quote unquote, new world, which is basically uh, the world beyond a locked front door of the dilapidated house that they're trapped in um, to face a terrifying dinosaur who 
looks like and may well just be like a stuffed a stuffed reptile toy wearing pink sandals, a striped sock on its tail, and round goggle glasses, um, and with like this weird grin on its face. And it's all told from the perspective of Molly, who speaks like a bombastic, self-important fantasy fan fiction protagonist. Like it, like the the pug is telling a tale around a campfire. It's ridiculous. Um, and she says things like, "He will lay siege to the world of toys, and the gods were were uh, were deaf to my prayer." is and and it works pretty well like it's coming from this dopey dog who has a very limited understanding of the world around it i i i kind of dig it um it's this really odd just a really (laughs) odd surreal vibe um like the art is genuinely cool like i know i said it 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 looks bad but the (laughs) art is cool because it has like this this bright tangled colors and like sinister static toy faces everywhere but it's either They've they've taken the images and then put it through like an artifacting or low resolution like filter to get a muddy early internet JPEG look, or the artist is just that good that they've they've drawn it to make it look that like old school and crappy. Like the whole thing is really unsettling and feels a little bit like a fever dream. I need to read I, I, this. I think you'd like it. Like I, I can't tell if it's this. an exercise in constrained or amateurish comic writing or it's genuinely shoddy but charming. Do you know what I mean? Don't say things like amateurish and constrained because I no 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 I I I I mean that in in like a, they're doing it in a considered way like yeah. they're obviously I I it's either they're genuinely shoddy but it's charming yeah. or these artists are so talented that they can make it look like they they're doing it in a, in an amateur way you know like how when they talk about actors who yeah. are very good at singing but then have to pretend to be bad at singing yeah. and it's actually really difficult to be a good singer and yeah. pretend yeah. to be bad at it i kind of feel like that's what they're doing here like they're obviously very t- a talent they they may very well be a very talented team mm. um but they're doing a very very good job of passing as amateurish and I, it works really well. I really like yeah. it. I, I get the feeling that they are doing it on purpose. Um, I'm just I think quick, so. I'm having a quick flick through it now, and it looks it it's kind of feels like they're doing it on purpose. And it just, I think they're doing it to get to get a certain aesthetic, and maybe to sort of give you kind of like a, um, an idea of maybe. I don't know. Like, I mean, you're saying that the the way this 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 dog is actually very eloquent. Yeah, <laughs> but like in a really in a, in yeah. a really pompous kind of self-important well, way. <laughs> can, can I read the quote out that's in the beginning of the book? Yeah, go for it. <laughs> the pale poo head, threadbare in fabric head, body and stuffing. I see him now, Molly, two thousand and seven. Like it's, it's a self quote. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's really funny. <laughs> um, uh, I, yeah, I I agree. I do think it's done deliberately, but I just love the fact that they've they've taken it to this extreme. Um, and the, the only reason I bring up that it it could not be is I want to give them the benefit of the doubt. Like if they're genuinely if they genuinely don't know what they're doing, it's super charming regardless, right? Um, so so after Pugnacious Part One abruptly ends when they you know they encounter this dinosaur, we get a a story called Crab Girl and I. And, like, I didn't realise this was going to be tacked on to the end, but it is. Um, it's about a guy and his imaginary friend who is part crab or something. Um, that's how they put it in the book. And it seems to be made, like... I think it's made entirely by Owen Davies. Um, it looks to be a collection of three-panel webcomics. But looking it up, doing my research on it, I don't think it was ever published as webcomics. I think it's been published digitally in the format that I downloaded it in in Pugnacious. So it's a collection of things that were seemingly webcomics, but actually aren't. Um, 
it's pretty funny. It kind of reminds me of stuff like Yonan Vasquez or those salad fang- salad fingers flash animations from you know the mid two thousands. Yeah. Uh, it's kind of broody and verbose, and this is juxtaposed with like disgusting or surreal humor. Yeah. It's it's not really the kind of thing I like these days, but I could imagine like teenage me would have dug it. Um, yeah, that's pugnacious number one. I think of two, <laughs> if you know, if what I can find on Amazon is is clear. Like I said, the only place I could find it was on Amazon Kindle, and it's ninety nine p. If you want something like just kind of mad, pick that up. Pug.nay.shus. Yeah. No, I, I feel like I need to read that. It, it's, it feels brilliant. I'm just having a quick look now to see if I can find more previews of what it looks like inside. But yeah, no, it, it looks... Yeah, I <clears throat> I couldn't find anything anywhere. Not even on the... Um, what did I say the publication was? Bel- Belfast City Comics. There's, there's nothing on there. You can find um, Crab Girl and I on there, yeah. but yeah. you can't find Pugnacious on it. Um, and I found the details for it on... Uh, the League of Comics, but very little else. And just just the author, illustrator, and cover. Yeah, no, I think I need to get that. I think I'll have to buy it as a Kindle book. In order yeah, for ninety nine p. If you I can't buy it wrong. as a Kindle book, is it still going to work if I try and open it as a PDF on my PC or something? Because I don't have a Kindle. Uh, not necessarily. The thing yeah. is, with when you buy comics off Kindle, because Amazon now own Comicsology. Um, I think 99% of the comics that you get on Kindle will be transferred over to your associated um, Comixology account because now you can link your yeah. Comixology account with your Amazon.co.uk account. So I've been buying the Marvel, like Ms. Marvel stuff and the Vision. I bought all of those on from Amazon Kindle because it was cheaper than buying it from Comixology, but yeah. I can actually open it in my Com- Comixology app um, yeah. on my iPad or even on you know the, the website. Yeah, I don't know if that's worked with Pugnacious. I haven't had a chance to check. It doesn't look like it will because normally it says on the Kindle page is linked with Comixology and this one doesn't have that. But uh, yeah, you might have to read it through the Kindle app uh, or or through the Kindle web app. Okay, I might have to read it through the Kindle web app if I pay for it then because yeah. uh, if I buy it because I, I don't have a Kindle. So, <laughs> but yeah. Well, yeah, you can you can read it on your phone or on, yeah. on the website or whatever. It sounds really, really good. It's strange, and it's really short as well, and for 99p, can't go wrong. You know me, I like strange stuff, so I really yeah. like that. And I like supporting these little little artists as well, little, little publications, so yeah. why not? Exactly. So, um, I think that wraps us up, doesn't it? Yeah, I, I like I've got a whole stack of comics that I had to... I picked up literally about 30 comics that had been saved for me at the back while I was absent for, you know, so many wow. weeks. Um, I've got loads to get through, and these I, I focused on new stuff for this week. But I'll try and get to things that I've been put, you know, putting on the back burner. Mm. Um, some new things like Domino, which came out a few weeks ago, which is the new Gail Simone book. Um, I'd like to read that. I intend to read the Tomb Raider Survivors Crusade. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got, I think there's four of those out now. I'd like to try and get that read by next week, but you know, we'll see time commitments and what, notwithstanding. Yeah, no, I'm. Uh... Yeah, I've got a lot to catch up on. A lot. Mm. So, yeah, it's... Uh, it's the load-bearing stack grows and grows, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. Roof's about to come off. I know, man. <laughs> I'm I'm about to get buried. Um, But, yeah, no, it's... uh, Yeah, I, so much to catch up on. But, yeah, like I say, I t- I've been picking out the new ones and stuff, and I've been, been trying to keep on top of it. And I'm, I'm not doing too badly looking at, you know, like my two reads 
stack still so i'm not doing too badly but i could be doing better <laughs> and i'm about to add to it because this week's a big one <laughs> looking yeah. at the pull list um i too wanted to get on domino by girl simone by the way i wanted to read that um mm. yeah x-men characters and such so yeah that sounds like quite a fun book but i haven't got around to it yet like you say so it's one of those things that i've just missed but yeah i've only skimmed through it and the first page yeah. has a pug so you know there's a theme going on pugs <laughs> so um pull list for this wednesday release date of this episode 18th of the fourth we have vinegar teeth number four um which i believe is the end oh okay it's the final vinegar teeth cool yes it is yeah vinegar teeth number four of four so that will be the end of that one and um it's been great it's been great fun Lovecraftian detective noir weirdness is the best way I can describe that. And yeah, I'm looking forward to the end of that number four. Uh, we've got another Asagi Yojimbo book coming out this week. Um, Asagi Yojimbo, um, The Hidden, number two, which is the part, the second part of the one that I just, I was talking about last podcast. Um, big one, Action Comics A Thousand. So the thousandth issue of Action Comics... Um, involving uh, Brian Michael Bendis. Um, so that his this will be his debut with DC Comics. Um, we've got uh, it was like the first thing that he's written for uh, DC Comics will be a Superman story. So and it will be in Action Comics One Thousand, I believe. So that will be cool. Batman Number Forty Five, which is the continuation of the great Batman stories that we have been talking about for a while on here now, and that I have talked about this episode uh batman creature of the night number three which i had almost forgotten was being published because i hadn't seen an issue of it for a long time um but that is like a a really cool really different take on the whole batman thing like a deconstruction of what batman is and what batman means and the driving forces behind the driving psychological forces behind the character itself. Um, who Batman is and, and where it comes from and, and so forth. As in with Bruce Wayne and things like that. And a deconstruction of, of, of what the character of Bruce Wayne is and, and you know Bruce Wayne in the real world and such. Um, we've got Diablo House number four this week, which I'm looking forward to, which I'm always looking forward to, a new Diablo House. Um, I'm just sad that it's so disparate and you know it just like but when you do get it it's just so good and it's such, such a such a joy to have a new issue of that uh ghostbusters crossing over number two which is the continuation of the latest arc which brings together ghostbusters from all over the multiverse um different part uh, different uh ghostbusters from different iterations of the Ghostbusters, so we've got Ghostbusters coming in from the extreme Ghostbusters, Ghostbusters from the real Ghostbusters, Ghostbusters from the original movie, Ghostbusters from the 2016 movie. It brings it all together into one delightful soup. It's great. Got Spider King number three, um, which is my Vikings versus Aliens book that I've talked about on here previously, and it is great. Um, should point out, not actually my Vikings versus Aliens book. Sorry, I didn't mean it that way. <laughs> yeah, uh, but yeah, it, it's it's the Viking versus Aliens book that I really like. So yeah, Spike, Spider King number three, um, TMNT Universe number twenty one is out this week. We've also got Transformers Lost Light number seventeen, 
Curse Words number 13 and Kick-Ass number 3, uh, which is number 3 in the sort of latest run of Kick-Ass, which I'm quite enjoying right now. So, yeah, that's cool. Um, with uh, the following week, the 25th of the 4th, we've got um, Ice Cream Man number 4, um, a new Alien series, Aliens Dust to Dust. So, with this one, um, this is the uh, the sort of... the, the the blurb, if you like, off Previews World um, that has sort of got me interested. Um, so the Trono Colony on LV-871 is under attack. Emergency evacuations are ordered. Evac shuttles are taking off. All 12-year-old Maxon and his mum are to do or have to do is to make it to the spaceport, except between them and it are aliens. Terrifying coming-of-age story by master storyteller Gabriel Hardman. Um, and uh, Gabriel Hardman, he has storyboarded um, films, Batman the Dark Knight Rises, Logan, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, and many others. Um, it's a re-examination of why we fear aliens, and it is on sale for Alien Day, which is um, 4.26, so 26th of April. Um, and it's on sale on the 25th, uh, New Comic Book Day. So I am definitely interested in that one. Other things for the 25th, um, there is uh, Thanos, Thanos Annual number one and uh, Hunt for Wolverine number one, which um, I'm kind of interested in because it's sort of, I think it's the return of the main Wolverine. So we've had Old Man Logan, we've had other Wolverines, other versions of Wolverine and things like that, I think, in the Marvel comics until recently. And now we're getting like classic Wolverine back. So that's that's the reason I'm interested in that, because I want to see what they're doing and why. Uh, yeah, so um, that's me for the next two weeks for the pool list. Uh, Ray, over to you. Yeah, so for the 18th, which is when this podcast is coming out, I've got John Wick number two, uh, Lucy Dreaming number two, so that's the second part to the, the story I just talked about earlier today, uh, Mr. Miracle number eight, and then for new ones, I found something called Skyward number one. Um, so that's, it's basically, it seems to be set on a world where the gravity on Earth has suddenly become a fraction of what it is now. And then 20 years later, humanity has adapted to its new low-gravity reality. Uh... And you can... Um, I mean, it's pretty great, apparently. Like, you can fly through the air, but if you jump too high, you can also die. It sounds awesome. <laughs> I, I know this uh, one. I, I saw... Yeah. I read a preview of it at the back of one of my other books. Oh, nice. Um, it, 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 it reminded me of... Um... Gravity Rush. Mirror's right? Edge. Oh, Mir- okay, fair enough. I got, I yeah, got I mean... a bit of a Mirror's Edge vibe off it. Uh, with well, the it does the way they're dressed and everything, but yeah, gra- gravity rush as well. Yeah. Well, yeah, I guess it's kind of both because you you see like the cityscape underneath this this girl who's upside down, like floating in the air. Um, so I guess the mirror's edge thing comes with like you get to navigate this whole this this you know sprawling metropolis, but the gravity rush thing because you get to manipulate gravity and whatnot. Mm. Yeah, I, I can see both of those. Um, that looks interesting. And then the second one I've got for the 18th of April is something called Survival Fetish. I have no idea what it's about. Apart from the fact that the title is badass, survival <laughs> fetish, that's cool, and it's um, it's like a stark red um, background with like black stripes coming down, which I guess are buildings. I can't really tell, and it's got some some guy like leaping between these buildings. It looks pretty cool. Um, I think everyone has a fetish for survival, though, right? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> well, it's something to do about. Um, uh, the, the the region is a sniper alley and this main character knows how to tr- uh, you know traverse it better than yeah, anyone else yeah. um and he tr- transports medicine and information across this no man's land yeah 
Um, so that sounds kind of cool. I have a fetish for survival. I don't want to die. <laughs> well, yeah, who doesn't? Well, not everyone does. Who knows? You've got yeah, a fetish sure. for barely surviving. You know, <laughs> some some people are more thrill-seeking than we are. Yeah. Um, and then for the 25th of April, I've got Hungry Ghost number four. And then for new ones, I've got something called Billionaire Killers. Um, yeah. Again, don't know much about it other than you know the, the, the covers seem pretty cool. Uh, cool and moody and i think in particular we both like the alexis Eric cover which has this like stark um pop art like gothic um two two women facing each other eating ice cream except they don't have their faces they're like these bright yellow skulls staring out at you with you know deep blue and dark red oh. hair on the thing it's very very cool cover so check um, that out Billy- mm. sorry i was gonna say uh alexis Eric is the guy from uh space riders that's the one that makes sense yeah that whole hyper hyper uh, what's the word hyper stylized hyper color Mm. vibe to it yeah Mm. um and then finally i've got something called day glow hole which is by ben passmore who is the uh the artist and writer behind your black friend which i believe leon spoke very highly of in a previous episode um so picked it up from that the fact that I recognize the author and also the cover is pretty cool. It's got like these wavy letters for the title and it's got a guy sitting on a trash heap and the, uh, the synopsis says, how is your post-apocalypse going? Enjoying the irradiated deserts, menacing clouds of sentient porn magazines, mutant police and hipsters <laughs> on some street art kick. No. Well, this is the best that the end of the world gets. It, um, it seems cool. Social and political commentary mixed with punk nonsense and gore drawn in vibrant fluorescent colours, apparently, which ticks all the boxes, I think. Yeah, so I'll be does. picking that up. Picking that I, up I, like, I like the idea of sentient clouds of porn mags. I don't, <laughs> you I, would. I, I don't understand that, but I kind of I kind of <laughs> like I, I, I want to know what that is. Whatever it is, it sounds brilliant. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and yeah, it just uh, is it, is it day glow. They glow a a hole. Yeah, you're right. Actually, um, so if I spell it out, it's one one word. So let me spell that out for you. Um, it's D A Y G L O A Y H O L E. Day glow a hole. I think. I think. Yeah, day glow. I, I'm going to say day glow a hole. <laughs> you're probably right. More punk than yeah. But yeah, no, it looks great, and I kind of want to read it now. Mm. So <laughs> yeah, definitely. If I can add that to my list, I will. Yeah, and um, that's that's me done for my picks. Yeah, so uh, that has been Ace Comicals episode thirty-three, I guess. So, yeah, it was good to have you back, Ray. Thanks. Good to be back. And uh, we are now going to sign off. So uh, you can find us on the web, uh, Uh the hub for everything. That's our main website. So you can find sort of links to everything there there you will find uh links to our twitter page where we are at ace comicals facebook under ace comicals instagram where we are ace comicals um you will find our contact email address which is ace comicals at gmail.com so if you want to get in touch send us a question you can do it there um or you can get in touch on twitter feed we don't mind send send us a reply to uh, you know send us a question via a dm uh either way it doesn't matter uh, you can even send us a message on Facebook if that's your, pref- your preferred platform. Um, you can find this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Overcast, Pocket Casts, Stitcher, TuneIn and Castro. Um, you will find us <clears throat> on um, 
WordPress, which is wordpress.acecomicals.wordpress.com. Uh, I will get it the right way around. <laughs> um, and you can find me on Twitter under at Bato. Uh, that's B-A-T-T-O-U. Um, I say start a conversation, send me a question. Uh, if you have any questions for the cast, um, we will answer them on the next episode. Uh, Ray, where can we find you? Yeah, best way is Twitter, at Monker. So that's at M-O-O-N-K-E-H. Yep, and uh, please uh, subscribe on uh, iTunes and do leave us a review. Tell us what we're doing right. And if we're doing something wrong, tell us what we're doing wrong because we'd love some feedback. And that has been Ace Comicals number 33. So that's Ace Comicals over and out.